Welcome one and all to another episode of Left Turn Canada, a member of the Harbinger Podcast Network. I'm Andy Burkowski, joined as always by Christo Avalis. And Christo and I have jobs that are a little a little alternative to maybe those of you listening. You know, we're we're both always working and kind of always not. So that's freeing in some ways, but it can also be kind of annoying when you got a family, you want to spend time with them, and you want to maybe check out a little bit. So I made a choice that just two days, 48 hours, I would head up to cottage country, not think about video games or politics, do anything online. And Krista, wouldn't you know it, that fell on the exact same night that good old JT <laughs> decided, no, it's politics time. I want to have an election just for myself. And we weren't here to do it. So apologies. We're, you know, a little late on the draw here. But yeah, we're in election mode. How does it feel, Christo? I mean, I don't know if it's because of the the pandemic or whatnot, but it doesn't feel that different. I wonder if it's like, you know, there's not going to be as many massive events, not as many massive rallies. I mean, the leaders are going to travel. People are going to be knocking on doors, all of that stuff. But, you know, I don't think like, you know, last last 2019 election, uh, you know, we had a big thing at the farmer's market here in Kingston. Uh, Jugmeet Singh showed up. It was great. Uh, I don't think there's going to be as many of those things, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, festivals and all, all of that. But, um, I mean, it, election is election. Uh, <laughs> you know, people are definitely uh, heated up on social media a little bit more. I've been noticing that. So I think we have, looking at the calendar here, depending on, you know, the release date, if we want to do Thursdays or Mondays, we have either five or six shows between now, when the election has been called, and when it will be decided September 20th. So that's one of the shortest, like, full election cycles, I think, at least. I'm going to refer to you here that we've seen it, here it's federally. short. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know if it's, the, but it's like, just as a reference, it's it's significantly shorter than the 2015 election, mm. where uh, Stephen Harper called a very long campaign. And there are some reasons why I think the liberals made it shorter. One, uh, when you're, they had a fairly commanding lead. Um, and still do. We'll talk a little bit about that. And maybe thought to themselves, uh, a big lead plus a short campaign gives us fewer days to uh, to screw it up, right? And yeah. to give the other parties less time to get momentum. Another reason is that in part what determines spending limits is the length of the campaign, right? Like spending limits at like the riding level and what have you when like a, what, what you can spend on a, a riding campaign is in part determined by how long the campaign is. And in general... The conservatives have a financial advantage uh, over the liberals, not not always super substantively. But if the liberals figure that one of the advantages Aaron O'Toole and the conservatives do have is money, then shortening the campaign limits their ability to spend some of that money. And I think that's certainly part of it. Of course, another part might be um, maybe hoping liberals hoping um, that if there is going to be a covid explosion or anything like that. Uh, it lessens the odds of that of it happening and breaking during the campaign. Another yeah. thing, I don't know if this is the reason, but Jody Wilson Raybould's book, um, you know, former cabinet minister, her book, I believe, is scheduled to come out on election day. Oh, is, that's it? Funny. is it? I know it's supposed to come out around that point. Yes, it's it's scheduled to be released on September fourteenth. I think maybe they pushed it up. But there were rumors from some that Trudeau was trying 
to maybe get out before Wilson Raybolt's book. But I think that was probably more speculation. Yeah, who knows? She might know where some of the bodies are buried. Uh, well, that, so certainly speak, I, yeah. there will be things that make Trudeau <laughs> look bad. But the question is, would they really be so worried as to schedule an election around a book? I, I, I doubt it. Yeah, that is the big question here. And it's not normally a question that you hear being said when it is election time. But we've talked about on the show a lot. Why is this election happening? All of the polling we've seen within the last year doesn't lend itself to this picture of a country that needs a big change, where a government's not able to provide, you know, the adequate resources necessary to deal with this absolute disaster that's been going on in the last 18 months. We've been able to get vaccines out for most of the people that want to get it, if not all of the people that want to get it. We've worked really hard, thanks to the influences of the NDP, to push the liberals in this direction to make sure that regular people obviously did suffer, but had some sort of safety net. They weren't waiting for, you know, a $600 check six months later. There was something there, so a lot of people didn't lose their homes. Why now? And I think what we have discussed previously will play out here. It is so that Justin Trudeau and his party can get that majority and directly get more influence to do things that imagine what he would now want to do if he did have a majority, if, if he is making these choices. Like, it's purely ambitious. It's during, obviously, the tail end of an active pandemic. But it is a question that needs to be asked. Many of the... Uh, leaders of different parties have asked that questions. I think they've kind of just been shooed away from the public, though. As much as people are angry, we're just kind of accepting our fate that this is happening. But let's not forget, this is not an election we need. It seems to only serve this blind ambition to make a party that's been able to service this country, I think we would say not the most effectively, do things now if they get the majority unshackled and that is not what we need right now. So I don't What are some other, yeah. like, how can they justify this? Right? Well, like, look, I mean, one thing I, and I wrote this in Canadian dimension in my latest piece, maybe we can put a link in the description, but mm -hmm. the, um, you know, one thing I did argue is that, look, you can't really make the election about the election. Mm. So like, we're not going to get too hung up on that, but it does raise a question like why the election now. And I haven't heard a good enough response from Trudeau. And that's not to say that I think at this stage people are going to vote against him because of that. As I noted in that piece, Abacus asked people last week, you know, are you happy? Are you mad? Uh, are you disappointed? Whatever about this election call. And what it found is that indeed uh, a super majority of Canadians are not happy that the election is happening right now. But less than 20% of voters say it's actually going to affect their decision. Right. And 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 for those 20 percent, it's not an indication of how strongly it might only affect it marginally. But, you know, the, the liberals haven't given us a campaign narrative other than majority, please. Right. Like, what's the narrative? They could say, oh, we're talking about child care and all of these sorts of things. And that's fair. They have pr pr produced some policy on that that they want to bring to the voters. But like that was already being done and could have continued to be done with the support of the NDP or just simply by the fact that none of the other parties were willing to pull them down. And so they could have kept chugging along with a very strong minority. This isn't even a scenario where, you know, they wanted to continue governing, but the opposition parties pulled them down. 
And so, you know, it wasn't so much Trudeau wanting an election, but being forced into one. This is the exact opposite. And so they have yet to provide a reason why any of their particular policies need an election to be enacted, mm. either because they're doing something very different that goes against what they feel their mandate is, or there's a policy that, let's say, they haven't technically been taken down by the opposition, but there's a key policy they want to pass that the opposition parties will not give them support on, and so they went to the voters to try to build a mandate for that policy. Uh, they haven't offered that. It's not as if Trudeau is trying to pass a policy and Singh and O'Toole and Blanchette have all said, you know, we are going to block this policy and we're willing to force an election over it. And then Trudeau says, fine, we're doing an election. And so he hasn't provided the reason. And actually, I think this is maybe one of the reasons, not so much that people are pissed about the election call, that the early polling doesn't look great for Trudeau. Now, we should clarify that he is still very much winning, very much in a strong position. But if you uh, if you look at uh, the three main aggregators, they're all showing the liberals in at least a partially weaker position than they were when the election itself was called. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, no one's excited you, for this. <laughs> like no, well, exactly. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like they haven't been able to sell why this is happening. Yeah, and maybe all. that's one of the reasons. So, for instance, uh, whereas a lot of aggregators and a lot of polls had them right on the precipice of a majority when the election was called. Right now, the 338 has them at about 158 seats. That's 12 short of a majority. Uh, the uh, Toronto Star aggregator, they, ha they have the Liberals at... Excuse me, I'll just pull it up right here. They have the Liberals also short of a majority at 160 seats. So a little bit rosier. But mm -hmm. but still short, and they have the uh, uh, one other the the CBC has them uh, close to a majority as well, but still short. The CBC polling aggregator has them at one hundred and sixty five. So they were um, much closer to majority likelihood a few days ago, uh, and that's fallen. Uh, yeah. That's fallen quite a bit. Uh, it was pretty much 50-50 whether the liberals would get a majority or a minority. Um, and now that's changed. And the conservatives still, without a chance of winning a majority, are, are, are seen at least having a tiny chance of actually winning the election right now. But, uh, but, but still very unlikely. Again, most of these aggregators that have the liberals short of a majority still have them 40 or 50 or sometimes 60 seats ahead of the conservatives. The, the, the one consistent is that there are gains for the NDP. Yeah. Uh, the NDP right now sitting somewhere around 24 seats. So uh, many of these aggregators putting them somewhere in the mid thirties or uh, as high as about 40 seats. If you look at the Toronto star uh, aggregator. So, so far so good for Jugmeet to one, avoid a Trudeau majority and two to increase the size of the caucus. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what we've seen in this last, you know, almost a week now, uh, the first week of the uh, election being called is kind of an indicator of how the conversation is going to go. And despite the numbers that you've just said, Christo, at least online, and I think even some of the discourse that's being pushed by liberal candidates is still, 
you have to vote strategically. The conservatives are the scariest, biggest, baddest monster that Canada has. Don't listen to what Jagmeet is saying about how the housing market has made it, it, it untenable for new uh, young people to buy homes because the biggest threat will be O'Toole despite these numbers. Now, I wonder if that gap closes. It's kind of almost a win-win potentially for the liberals here. If that gap closes a little bit more, they can still push that narrative. It gives people ammunition to say this is what you need to do. The NDP are just as dangerous as the conservatives. Or if they have a clear path to majority, then it doesn't really matter. But it is a little disheartening to see this happening, you know, right away as uh, a similar discourse that we've seen before that I think you and I would both argue has been really damaging to like representing actual uh, values for uh, Canadians, like to actually have the process of why we have elections, right, is to try to get constituents that represent our values. And still they're saying the same thing that, I don't know, you tell me, doesn't seem to apply here. Well, I mean, one one factor is the liberals would do it no matter what. They could yeah. be up 30 on the concern. They would still say that. Um, that was one of the arguments. And last night, we'll talk a little bit about it, but the Nova Scotia election resulted in a conservative, progressive conservative majority. Uh, last night, there was a provincial election in Nova Scotia. Uh, and one of the arguments was that the NDP caused this to happen. But it should be known that the NDP's vote percentage actually went down by about half a percent. Uh, you know, about 0.54 percentage points. Uh, and, uh, you know, the really the, the major factor was people switching from liberal to conservative. Mm. Uh, and so you're going to see this attempted by the liberals. And hypothetically, it certainly is the case that a closer election makes that more likely. But so far, I, I don't know if I've seen, I don't know if it'll be as effective. Mm-hmm. And... um. There certainly is a chance the NDP could pull back, but we have to compare it to the last election where the NDP going into it was polling in many polls in and around the low teens. In fact, some polls early in the election had the NDP below 10%. And now if you look at the consensus, the NDP is likely uh, in and around 2021. Mm. The lowest poll that I think I've seen in the last day or so has had them around 18, which is higher than they were at the end of the last election. Um, I don't know if that argument will be as effective this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if Justin Trudeau will be able to make it as effectively because the gap is still rather large between the conservatives and the liberals. Um, and uh, the projections uh, on seats especially are still rather substantive. But the liberals will try to do that. Yeah. They will 100% try What to else do can that. they do, right? Because like you said, they don't have a big policy that justifies the creation of this election, yeah. that they need support from the people. They don't have the, well, the big baddie. And, yeah, yeah, what can they and do? Also, well, and also, like again, if they're being honest with their voters, and they, and they won't be, uh, the, their voters want NDP policy. Uh, and the only way they can get that is either voting NDP or at the very least having the NDP controlling the balance of power in parliament. Uh, and the liberals know that at least in 2019, it, it might not necessarily work out this way this time. In 2019, basically, uh, you know, most of the liberal and conservative voters 
when asked, were saying they were voting against something rather than yeah. for something. For the NDP and for the Greens, at least, it was not the case. Their voters were largely, not exclusively, largely voting for something. Uh, and so the Liberals know that their voters want NDP policies, that uh, Liberal voters are, are better represented ideologically by NDP platforms, and also that their voters are typically motivated to vote against something and so that's their that's their narrative. Now, yeah. none of this is to defend the conservatives. I mean, uh, their first few days on the campaign have been truly horrendous, right? <laughs> yeah. We have, we have, for instance, one they they uh, they keep ref- referring to the fourteen words in their yes. in their yes. whether I don't know if the, I don't think that's definitely I don't I I'm very confident that Aaron O'Toole is not pushing that, but yeah. somebody who works in their comms team is definitely. Uh, you know, a, a crypto member of the alt-right because mm-hmm. they have all of these posts that have 14 words or 88 characters in them talking about securing the future for our families and whatnot. Of course, the 14 words, it's a its a, alt, a, a Nazi, a white supremacist slogan basically saying something along the lines of, you know, we must secure a future for white children. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Bring I, Canada I back, I think, is some of yeah. their mottos that they're they're pushing right now, the importance of that. So and definitely so, ties you know, into and that. And this isn't necessarily me suggesting that that's a, a, an open dog whistle direct from Aaron O'Toole to the far right of Canada. I, I, I don't quite buy that, but it's certainly not a good look. Uh, and then we also have their first signature policy, which is just so dumb, is that the conservatives in December, they pledge if they win, uh, one of their uh, one of their first uh, goals will be to um, provide a one-month retail tax break, which is to say that if you go shopping in December to say you've got buy Christmas presents, holiday presents, whatever, uh, they will remove the federal portion of the uh, sales tax. Uh, Perfect. Making, Finally. Making, yeah, basically no difference because yeah. the federal portion is, I believe, what, 5%? Mm-hmm. And so if you think about it, you get a 5% deduction. Even if you spend $1,000, that's only a $50 saving. It will generally benefit higher spenders because they'll spend more money and get a not a bigger percentage bonus, but a bigger raw bonus. Uh, and the cost of it is estimated to be $1.5 billion. <laughs> So uh, a stupid policy that costs $1.5 billion, which is significantly more than what the NDP's dental care plan would have yeah. been, which is to permanently provide four to six million low-income and lower-middle-income Canadians dental care. Uh, and so that's um, really dumb. And we really wouldn't dumb. be able I, I, to even enjoy it because also in their platform, it's to expand the you know Trans Mountain expansion, uh, eliminate Bill C-69, and also to uh, adjust, let me see this here, yeah, to make sure that Canadians get into the housing market by reducing capital gains. Like, that. that's the type of pushes that the Tories are going for. Like, it's amazing to see how deluded this messaging is from the actual stressors that are facing Canadians here. Like, they, they have such a small piece of the pie that they seem to be speaking to here that I, I, I can't believe that this is the type of stuff that they're they're coming out the gate with. The other thing that I noticed just in the last uh, week, NDP, Jagmeet Singh, front and center. You know, they have a lot of uh, ads showing people uh, talking about how great it is to work with him personally, what he means for uh, them to see a leader that actually reflects values that are close to, if not their own, on the conservative side. 
hard for me to see any O'Toole. <laughs> There's a lot of just big budget numbers, a lot of uh, Justin Trudeau's face, maybe on, you know, a, a body of a small child in the Willy Wonka ad that we saw that was yeah. then taken down. But we, we are seeing some very distinct differences in how this election is playing out and how the conservatives are trying to maybe mend the wound of how much people just don't seem to like O'Toole. He is unbelievably unlikable, like actively, and they're doing that. They're trying to show him a little more hidden, whereas Jagmeet, as we said here many times, is liked, is perhaps the most likable, right? Isn't that what some of the recent yeah, polling said of all the leaders? He, yeah, yeah. He's, he's all like for, for months he's been the most likable. So one poll, actually, Innovative Research just had a poll come out uh, today, uh, taken on August 16th. Uh, the leaders going from top to bottom, Maxime Bernier minus 39, <laughs> Aaron O'Toole minus 22, Paul minus 17, Trudeau plus 1, Blanchette plus 7, taken only in Quebec, uh, and Singh plus 18. So yeah. Singh is significantly more popular than Blanchette even, and significantly, significantly more popular than all of the other, um, you know, national leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and another interesting poll showing potential by Innovative asks people, uh, who, which party would you never vote for? And the NDP is the lowest on the list. They are also in that same poll quite significantly ahead on who people's second choice are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the NDP, the second choice of 23% of voters, the Liberals only 14%. That poll has the NDP at 21 in the main polling. But there was another one today as well that had the, by Abacus, that has O'Toole at minus 21, Trudeau at minus Oof. 4, and Singh at plus 15. So in, in in a lot of ways, you can see that, you know, Singh is going to be an asset, uh, at least in general, um, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's something to build, you know, your policy around. Well, I I just wanted to tie into something you said a little earlier about how the liberals know that their constituents want NDP policies. So as I said at the top, I spent a couple of days in cottage country. We were, my wife and I were visiting a a friend of a friend who was very, very wealthy. They were just from completely different circles. And the talk of the obvious election was uh, on everyone's lips is what we were all talking about. And I asked these sort of questions, you know, what do you find uh, appealing? What could get you to vote NDP? That was the first question I asked. And almost across the board with the people we were staying with, a lot of humming and hawing, nothing was ultimately what was said. And then when the follow-up question was, you know, what are the kind of things you want for your country? Like, what do you want the changes to have happen across the board. It was making sure that it was easier access to uh, home ownership, ensuring that uh, we deal with climate change in big, real ways, and that reconciliation is taken seriously. I think for the upper middle class, this idea of uh, what Canadians have done to native peoples of this country are despicable and is still resonating. But there's still that dissonance with this group of educated, wealthy people, and I think a lot of Canadians that aren't realizing that the leader that they see on TV, the PRPM of uh, Justin Trudeau, 
doesn't believe and his party will not implement the things that you actually want. (laughs) But they're just afraid of it costing too much. I cannot believe that that is still a sentiment now. And these are good people. Like there was no, you know, spewing at the mouth conservatives. And I I think these are well-meaning people generally. But what do we do, you know, Crystal? It's manufactured (laughs) consent. Because like, look, during the last provincial election here in Ontario, this is a few years ago now. The whole narrative was, oh, the, the, the Ford's going to be good on the budget, blah, blah, blah. But like when they actually did the independent costing, what they found is that Ford would run the biggest deficit and the NDP would run the smallest deficit. And that was yeah. not a, a timid NDP campaign that, that Horwath actually ran a rally. Uh, she didn't run a Mulcair style, style campaign. But what happened was, is that when you add in the fact that a lot of those social expenditures have spinoff benefits and you add in the fact that the NDP was going to raise taxes on those most able to pay for it. What you found was that even though they were spending more money, they were making it up in revenue. Whereas Doug Ford wasn't planning a whole bunch of new spending, but was planning a whole bunch of tax cuts. Mm -hmm. And the spending he was making was going to add up. And so in reality, based on objective, uh, you know, uh, studies by observers, (laughs) Ford would run the biggest deficits, right? Mm -hmm. He would have the smallest budget but the biggest deficits because of his taxes. And so he could say, I'm spending less money. And in terms, he was spending less, but he was also bringing in far less than the NDP. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I don't think we've seen such an analysis yet of what each party's platform would would bring in uh, in terms of a deficit. uh, Would the deficit increase, decrease by how much uh, either way? But... Uh, I think that's one of the benefits of like, we're going to tax the rich at one uh, people yeah. want to tax the rich. We've talked about that. We don't need to get into that, but people want to tax the rich wealth tax is incredibly popular for instance, but it also helps to say in part, well, how are you going to pay for it? Well, we're going to pay for it by taxing the, uh, the goddamn rich. Like that's how we're <laughs> going to do it. Right? Like it's, we're not hiding that. We're not going to be like Tom Mulcair and like hem and haw about it. Sings like, look, we're going to raise taxes on the rich to help people. That's the, that's the narrative so far from saying we're raising taxes yeah. on the rich to help regular people. That's a good narrative. It's about social justice. It talks about the things you want to help people with, childcare, housing, pharmacare, dental care, blah, blah, blah. And it offers a, 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 a sort of roadmap about how you help the people, which is in part by collecting revenue from those willing to uh, or able to pay it. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that the number he has been perhaps clever, if not as idealistic and moralistic as I would like him and the party to be, the number that they've chosen to tax of what they've considered the rich is still at a level that most people have never met a human being like that. No, we're talking <laughs> you know, 10 it's, it's very easy. Of net, yeah. of net wealth, which is a mm-hmm. lot, right? Like. I get it. There are people that are like not rich that are technically millionaires because, you know, maybe you uh, have a house that's worth $900,000 or something uh, that you and your your spouse have, you know, sort of moved up the property ladder. But we're talking about people with $10 million of net worth. Now, the NDP's tax plan is uh, starts lower than what you would see from, say, Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders uh, wealth tax only kicked in at $50 million. Um, which would mean that, you know, it, we, that there's there's a lot more people uh, with $10 million net worth than 50, right? It, it, yeah. it closes rather quickly because even amongst the wealthy, there are tiers of, 
of disgusting wealth, right? You know what percentages I mean? of percentages. Yeah. There and always so, is, right? Um, but the, but there is a maximum of it's a flat tax for uh, above ten. So whether you have ten million or whether you have ten billion, you pay ten per you pay one percent on the entire amount of your wealth above ten million. Not on the entire ten if you only have ten, but only on the amount above ten. So put another way, <laughs> if you have a net eleven million dollars of net worth. Your annual wealth tax will only be ten thousand yeah, dollars, right? It's it's, pittance, it's it, pittance, because it's one percent on the total amount above that. Yeah, it's not the one percent on all of it, which I think some people were yeah. were afraid well, of, which still is a, hilarious. Was, well, yeah, there was a misleading <laughs> article as well by the um by the uh by in, in the in in global or at least well, a misleading yeah. quote given yeah. to a global article by a uh, Scotiabank economist trying to portray the Sing 2% tax increase on income as being a 2% total tax increase on the income of those making above 200000 or so, when in reality it was simply a 2% increase on the amount above the top marginal rate, which is yeah. to say if you make like 250 a year, it's like 2% extra on that 50000 which again is like you know, a few hundred bucks a year, right? You'll like, still be rich. You're still there. You'll still have generational yeah. wealth. Like yeah. it will not stop. It will not stop the system that is in place that unfortunately victimizes so many people, but it will give us resources to put things in place that are so needed right now in this moment. You know, when I was talking about it, when I was in that kind of neoliberal belly of the beast, another policy that almost unilaterally all these people believed was a liberal policy was this idea of companies and individuals that profited during this pandemic had to pay with some even getting righteous saying you know they should lose half their income or something like that i don't know if you're aware but the only party that i hear really talking about this is the ndp with a temporary 15 percent tax on large companies again yeah. a lot of qualifiers here that yeah. had windfall profits during the pandemic who would not Agree with this. Even yeah. these wealthy people that I was talking to, this very small yeah. sample size, like no one believes as we all suffered in these last 18 months, some suffering more or differently than others, that those who profited that yeah. made their life better shouldn't have to pay because we live in a society and we're all connected. Like, yeah. I, I think that is such a home well, yeah, run I mean, policy. I really yeah, do. 100%. But I, I mean, I think so. And I mean, because look, look, Trudeau has tried to say on the one hand, this is about, you know, how we're going to build. That's one of the, his efforts. I think a poor one to say like, you know, this is going to be a big election. The, the, the next few years are going to have big decisions about what we do going forward. All very true. Like, you know, when you come out of a crisis, there's, a new opportunity to make, make mm. things better or or worse. And so I get like that narrative, but like you said, Trudeau hasn't been proposing like uh, either ongoing or one-time tax increases to address this. And I mean, look, this is the kind of policy that you could even appeal to other elements of the capitalist class and say to folks, mm -hmm. look, um, you know, you're a business owner. You might generally not see yourselves as in the NDP camp. You might generally not see yourselves as pro-taxation. But, you know, there were companies by virtue of luck and by virtue of their size and by virtue of, like, the, the red tape of what was considered essential or not who got to make tons of money while you had to shut down or severely scale back. And all mm -hmm. we're asking for is that those companies 
that made a ton. And we're talking about big businesses here. We're not talking about a pizza shop that yeah. sold a few more pizzas than than they normally would have because people were ordering pizza more because um you know they couldn't get you know it, it's a good pandemic food I suppose because yeah they don't rely it's not on that it. at all no it, no, it's uh, the yeah. businesses that had a representative lobbyist in Doug Ford's office yeah. that used to work for him that got <laughs> loopholes in place to make sure that they profited and all of those small businesses didn't have that same access it was those industry businesses like I, I think a good one would be the entertainment industry and a few select companies that actively profited and should have to pay as as most because it's needed like it's not meant to be punitive because you're so bad it's because it's needed and it's an economy like I just anyways continue Christo yeah no no so 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 I agree right and so I think that there's definitely an opportunity there I I don't know uh if enough people are going to be moved to say move the NDP in the first. But again, we have to compare it to the last election. Mm -hmm. Singh is very popular. Uh, he remains popular. Uh, in, in many ways, he's more popular now, which in general is hard to do. As you, One of the reasons O'Toole is failing so badly is that he's unpopular and he hasn't even run an election yet, right? Like that's, mm -hmm. like he's, yeah. <laughs> he's already vastly unpopular without being leader all that long, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so... Singh has had one full campaign under his belt. He's the uh, only, uh, well, him and Blanchette, I suppose, are the only other uh, opposition leaders with that uh, designation. Both O'Toole and, and, and Annamie Paul are, are, are rookies. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a good chance there. I don't know if uh, that's going to necessarily swing people, but I do think it's, it's good for the ridings where the NDP is competitive that they can go to these messages. We mm -hmm. are going to tax the rich to invest in the things you need. And if housing is going to be a focus, that's likely very good because the seats were in general, the NDP has a great chance of picking up like in Toronto and in some mm -hmm. other urban areas, housing, whether it's house prices or rent, uh, uh, rent, renting prices are, yeah, are foreign ownership are of property. Yeah. yeah are, are it's insane. a big problem. Uh, and mm -hmm. so I, I definitely think that, uh, the, the, the NDP has been, uh, on a good message. They've, they've talked a little bit about how this election is dumb. We shouldn't be having it and we don't need it. We could have done a lot of these things without an election, but they don't seem to be hyper-focused on that. And unlike the conservatives, which have been about a really crappy Mary Poppins parody and, <laughs> and like, you know, a, 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 you don't pay taxes like a bad boy ad, right? Like, you yeah. Know, it's weird, like their big push from what I've seen so far, the conservatives, how they're going to fix Canada is this idea of the anti-corruption act that they're trying to push as if the economy has suffered in these last 18 years. And we've had such a paradigm shift because of corrupt politicians trying to get money for themselves. I don't think that is the reason why we're in the situation we are. And I know they were pushing. It's a ridiculous thing. I don't know if you've seen it online, but O'Toole uh, sent this open letter to Trudeau about the wildfires in BC in the entire letter there and you know how it's destroying that province and and obviously as a result of climate change these uh, the changes in the atmosphere leading to these thunderstorms where tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of bolts of lightning are hitting these dry areas not once is the word climate used at all like the entire way that it's presented is without that as a solution. So it's just, 
it's so asinine. It's so without the moment. And I think normally they're able to kind of dance on that line a little bit because they have a constituency that thinks the same way. But I, I just don't know how they're going to get anywhere with this sort of messaging. Like, what what do you think if you had to, you know, do some strategy now for the conservatives of trying to push back and, you know, make sure that uh, the liberals don't get the majority, even possibly snag a minority for yourself? What can they say in this moment that would move anyone when you have a leader like O'Toole? Like, I'm coming up short. I got no idea. I mean, honestly, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, like, like, like it's the policies just, just aren't that shit popular. Out of luck. <laughs> like their daycare policy is not that popular. It's like we're gonna get. It's basically like we're gonna do a tax rebate thing. It's kind of like like it's people don't need that. It's the poorest yeah. people won't be able to benefit. It's yeah. I, I'm not sure because like their policies legitimately aren't that popular, and I think they're gonna run into the same issue they ran into in 20. Uh, uh, 19, but but they're even a little bit less popular, which is that even though they were able to win the popular vote, um, they, uh, you know, just had too many wasted votes in mm-hmm. Alberta and Saskatchewan and in general in a lot of like Anglo rural parts of the country, like certain parts of Ontario where they wasted a lot of votes. Um, and in many ways, it's harder for them this time because last time Trudeau had real big deal scandals, blackface, SNC-Lavalin. Trudeau's actually much less scandal-ridden this election. There are still scandals, but like mm-hmm. the we story has sort of disappeared. Uh, blackface has sort of disappeared. Uh, the electoral reform lie has sort of disappeared. And Him so fighting Trude- kids yeah. in court. I, yeah, I don't, like, that's well, that, kind of gone. Go- yeah. yeah, but like, but, like you think? we're talking yeah. about like those ones in particular, like yeah. snc Jody Wilson Raybould, Blackface, mm-hmm. um, all really hurt Trudeau in 2019 and are not playing a role this time. Um, and so right now it seems like the conservative message isn't connecting. And I think one of O'Toole's challenges is that he's sort of still appealing to his base, maybe out of fear of losing them to the PPC or them not turning out or what have you. But in so doing, it really hurts him um, in his ability to win over, uh, you know, suburban swing voters. And so Mm -hmm. you're seeing it with him being all equivocating on vaccines and mandatory vaccinations. Now his policy isn't even necessarily that much different than, say, the liberal policy, where a lot of it is like we're going to encourage it and we're not necessarily sure if workers are going to get fired, blah, 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 blah. And like all of these things, but it, the, the narrative is is that like oh, O'Toole opposes mandatory vaccinations, and the Liberals in the NDP have said uh, candidates must be vaccinated. Even Error, uh, Doug Ford has basically come out and said that uh, members of the PC caucus must be vaccinated, or they'll be kicked mm-hmm. out of caucus. Um, you know, O'Toole hasn't really gone that far yet. Uh, and I sort of think that everyone's unhappy. Conservative voters are still, you know, the PPC is uh, is ticked up in their polling. They may get enough, uh, uh, they may get enough support to make the debates. They're right mm. on the precipice, and he's sort of trapped. If he appeals to his base to get them out, um, he pisses off the other seventy percent of Canadians. Remember, there's a reason why this guy who hasn't had a contest yet, um, you know, is 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 already at like minus twenty two or. <laughs> or, or so in the in the approval ratings, people, uh, people don't like them. People don't yeah. like them. 
People don't like him, and he doesn't and they don't like, have... And there's no good policies. Like, look, the PCs yeah. in, in Nova Scotia, you know, they, they had an election in Nova Scotia, right? And um, the conservatives won that. They won that election. They won a majority, not a massive one, but a, 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 they won a majority of like three or four seats in Nova Scotia. And they did it by one, telling O'Toole to stay the fuck away from Nova Scotia. He did not come. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and specifically running on, like, we're going to improve health care. They ran, at least in fiscal terms, to the left of the Nova Scotia Liberals um, and, you know, offered a policy people wanted, um, you know, that, that appealed mm-hmm. beyond the conservative base, and they won. And so yeah. where's that from O'Toole? Where's O'Toole's policy? Where's O'Toole's, like, Here's a policy that doesn't necessarily piss off my base because even conservatives support good health care, but that actively reaches out to liberal and NDP voters. And we haven't seen it. We haven't seen yeah, it. That's from, why, from, you know, he's, you know, in some of the polls, he, he, you know, that are looking better for him, he's, he's keeping, he's keeping things open. Like, he, you know, he, he's kind of, yeah. he's kind of got his base, but like, I don't see where he expands. And again, if, if, the votes fall like they did last time and they do appear to be, then he needs to beat Trudeau by two or three, at least probably to win a minority. Like he need he can't just tie Trudeau like, like, you know, yeah. or even just slightly beat him. Like uh Sheer did. If, if he's going to have the same issue, which is um, a really strong turnout in Alberta and Saskatchewan um, and, and, you know, some rural areas, uh, then he's really going to need to beat Trudeau by three or four to cancel out his um the 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 vote efficiency of the liberals in Ontario and Quebec. Yeah, no, he he definitely will need to move past his base there because based on what you're saying here with the numbers if there's there's any hope for him and and just doing a little bit of research of what they're they're pushing now it it seems to be uh categorically one of the big pushes is this idea of trying to help small businesses you know they have their restore one million jobs campaign within the last year uh would that have been lost in the last year pay up to 50 percent of the new higher salary for six months at the end of the canadian emergency wave subsidy like they are pushing these sort of investments uh but with that they also have like we need a new minister responsible for red tape reduction you know we need low interest loans for people who only want to upgrade specific skills, you know, it, it can't be anything in the humanities or anything like that. So they still have some some moralizing there that I think is just muddled, right? Like, how are they going to win anyone that isn't in those homelands You know, in a big way? I, I don't see how that would happen. Yeah, right now. I mean, look, what it would take is that uh, I, I think Trudeau would have to screw up. I think like that's big that's what time. It's gonna have to like, <laughs> like Trudeau's going to have to screw up. He's going to have to. Delta or Delta is going to have to explode yeah. and, and they get blamed for it. Or he has another massive scandal um, because I don't see them affirmatively winning votes this election. I could, but I he's inconsistent on like, where, uh, where's like the COVID policy? though. Right. Yeah, like, where's even the po- if, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, he I isn't. Know, but man. like, but like, but there yeah. is still like, look, if, if it really goes bad, then he could say, I didn't want the election, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying. I agree with you. <laughs> I, just, I don't see where it's coming from. I don't yeah. see where their victory is coming from. Now, again, the, if you look at the aggregators, at least in the first, you know, what are now two, three days of this election, um, things have looked better for them, right? But mm-hmm. better in the context that they wouldn't have a Trudeau majority. Uh, and, you know, the, I don't know how they get from 
you know, preserving the status quo, which is either gaining or losing a few seats, but still holding the second place in a minority parliament. I don't know how they get from that to winning a minority government. It, the polling does not show it yet. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, again, some of the polls have been closer than they have been, but like, you know, the aggregator at 338 still has it with them about four points down on the liberals. And again, the liberals winning about 41 more seats in that, right? It's mm-hmm. like, you know that with the vote efficiency issue, that even if they could somehow tie the liberals, they'd still probably be down by 15, 20 seats. Yeah. So I don't know if they need something that can appeal to people in Ontario, but at least a lot of the, the numbers we've seen is that they're in Ontario numbers right now are actually quite abysmal. Right. And, yeah. and, and, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. Right. I don't know that that's going to be an issue for them. Where they, where do they get those votes in Ontario? How do they get them? And right now they haven't been able to. It does seem as well that the timing of this election and the general sentiment that seems to be coming from a lot of Canadians really does support the Liberals and their extended policy of doing essentially nothing and not rocking the boat in ways that will affect the lives of like their core constituents. Because I, I unfortunately, I thought that after we had you know, the pains of this pandemic where we saw the veneer was gone of what capitalism does to our society, how we welcome the suffering of others for the embitterment of a select few and, you know, will allow people to die to service that, that if once we've seen all that and suffered through that, we would want to push for change. But I think now, unfortunately, the sentiment with a lot of people, because of this timing, like right as things are potentially dying down, there's a chance of it opening, getting worse again, that people are just tired enough and just happy enough to have some normalcy to not want to put the boots on the ground and demand the changes that maybe they wanted uh, at the beginning of this year when they were really in that fatigue with the pandemic or, you know, in the middle of last year where death tolls were or late last year where death tolls were rising. And we needed big changes now. And I, I just think it's so unfortunate and, in my opinion, really duplicitous by the liberals that they can be so calculating and so ambitious to see this one moment and to enact you know, this civic duty, you know, how often do we hear politicians defend, you know, beyond anything else, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, you know, what it means for us and and how important it is and it's valued above all else. But we see now how, um, if not naive, just opportunistic these the people in power can be and how powerless it can make us feel. You know, I am I am really welcomed by the policies and the campaigning, though, of Jagmeet and the NDP this week because there is a sense of hopefulness and and wanting a change in a way that is a little more active, you know, that's a, not to the extent that I would want, but it is about like we need people in homes. Like I think he's been very effective in highlighting that in Trudeau's uh, reign here, the cost of a house has increased by, I think it was $300,000 in six years. It's impossible for young people to get homes. And that is strong, that's true, that affects everyone in some way. And to see just this idea of like, it's so bad, now let's change it for the better is hopeful. But I don't know, I, I, I just, I have a sneaking suspicion 
of the liberals uh, kind of skating to a majority here due to fatigue and apathy. And then six months from now, that outrage on the kind of stuff that they are supporting and pushing with that majority. Uh, I think the NDP are doing pretty much everything correctly at this point. I do think that maybe they need something bigger. But as you've discussed here, Christo, the mathematics of that and the calculus of being too big and and alienating, you know, certain neoliberal voters that that want these things but are afraid of how they're going to pay for it might bite them in the ass versus not doing enough that would affect people like you and me that that are looking for those big changes. Like it's it is a line to walk here looking at what the NDP have been doing, you know, what what's your takeaway uh so far? We're so early, but you know, do you think it's been effective? Yeah, I think it's been a good start. Uh, they've gotten some of the yeah. policies out. Uh, they've gotten, uh, they've gotten the, the 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 yeah, like basically the platform is is already out. Um, one challenge with that, of course, is that you know it's like, what are you gonna do to break the news cycle uh, going forward? That's gonna be mm-hmm. a challenge. But uh, Singh has started well. Uh, he remains popular. Uh, again, he's led strongly uh, with you know we're gonna tax uh, rich people. Uh, rather cynically, the new baby announcement, uh, yes. saying his wife are expecting a baby, uh, is likely going to only endear him to voters because it's uh, it's mm-hmm. it's it, you know it's like a joyous thing, uh, and you know wouldn't surprise me that like married men with babies, uh, you know, in politics tend to probably be even more likable, you know, when compared to say single men, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, and so um, that's like it's it, it's it's been a great start. It's been a really great yeah. start. Um, and the polling, again, uh, there hasn't been much of it. And some of those early polls were still bleeding in from before the writ drop. But it's been good. It's been good so far. Uh, and they're starting from a much better position than in the previous election. Now, again, there is still a chance strategic voting will happen. There's still a chance that, um, you know, the, the the liberals could come out with a surprise promise that uh, entices voters. But um Right now, it's, uh, you know, you can't complain in the short term because very few of the aggregators are showing the liberals at a majority and all of the aggregators are showing the NDP making gains in seats, sometimes sometimes substantively. And mm-hmm. so if you can end up in a situation where you preserve your balance of power and you, say, gain anywhere from, say, 6 to, to 15 or so seats, uh, you take that. You take that result yeah. any day of the week. And just all the other things. The NDP is in a better financial position than they were in the last election. They're much more organized, much more candidates selected. Um, yeah, everything's been so much better than the previous election uh, at the start uh, for, yeah. for Singh for Sing personally and for the party. Yeah, do you think that that big move would be beneficial sometime in this next news cycle to, to type of uh, maybe breakthrough because like we said he he's doing well his his Paul his platform seems to be out there but he needs to break into that news cycle and flip and and move some of those uh, liberal or, or voters that don't feel like they're represented to make those victories you said in Toronto and Ontario and areas like that to cut into that a lot you know at this point, with the climate of how it's looking, do you think that he could get away with that without it hurting him, or would it be, you know, too much of a risk? I, I, I'm not sure. I really don't yeah. know yet. I mean, like, it's hard to speculate at this point, 
right? It's hard to speculate. A lot of people are making big speculations, like Trudeau doesn't get a majority, does he resign? Like, all of that. Like, I mean, right now, I think we just <laughs> really? have to let the campaign... Yeah, one of the arguments is that, you know, a lot of people were maybe suggesting Trudeau was done after the last election, right? That, mm-hmm. yeah, he won, he skated by, uh, he, but he lost his majority, he had all these scandals, uh, you know... Uh, Christia Freeland is is licking her chops, ready to girl boss her way uh, to power. Yes, indeed. Right, um, and um, you know, with his in with the the pandemic, obviously putting aside any of those kind of like machinations and uh, Trudeau's polling improving. Um, you know, it 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 made it likely that he was going to stay on. But one of the arguments is, um, that if he doesn't win a majority this will be a failure because the whole point of calling the election right now yeah. was to win a majority. Uh, and that might uh, increase calls for him to at least plan his his exit, right? But it could also depend, too, what kind of minority. If it's a similar minority, it, you could actually argue it both ways. If the liberals end up with a similar parliament, you could say, on the one hand, the liberals have a bunch of stability, meaning that you know Trudeau did well, he could stay on. You might also mm-hmm. argue, though, that the stability uh, gives the liberals more leeway to turf him without risking an immediate election. That as long mm-hmm. as the opposition parties aren't really willing to have an election either and all join together against them, they can sort of treat it like a temporary majority, have their leadership race and go on. Whereas a, a if, the, let's say, the liberals were to lose a bunch of seats but still hold on to power, it might paradoxically be better for Trudeau because only, say, having a five uh, a five-seat buffer makes the government very fragile and they might not take the risk of changing leaders, at, at, you know, in between that mm-hmm. election. So. Yeah, and I, I do think, I don't know uh, how you see this, but I think he would be taken out of there kicking and screaming because I, I don't remember a leader that seems to enjoy being prime minister more than <laughs> Justin Trudeau. Like he his shit-eating grin, like the absolute just insane stuff that he's been doing publicly in the last little while. You remember that vote that he did when he was uh, on camera and then said yes and then did like a really intense cult leader stare like and just so many things like that where his cult of personality is seemingly really, really important to him. We've said it before. He had an opportunity to mint his legacy working with the NDP to pass progressive changes that we would remember in this country forever. Like maybe even the same way we remember Tommy Douglas, who, who gave us these things that are now always in our conscience like that are needed. Pearson in that sense. Yeah. yeah. No, but I he, mean, look, he didn't want to. No. I mean, no, exactly. and he doesn't he want to. He doesn't want to. Like, that's it. He didn't want to because he could have done it. Um, he could have 100% done it. I mean, look, in general, leaders usually leave when they're older or when they lose an election and by lose they like i mean like you know loot like 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 not just uh fail to meet expectations but if you look mm-hmm. at recent leaders harper left uh left the conservative leadership when he lost the election uh same thing with andrew Scheer, um the last liberal leaders all you know def stefan dion and 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 uh michael ignatieff both left after losing paul martin as well uh, Jean Chrétien did retire, but he was had been in power for quite a while and was an older politician. Um, mm-hmm. But the last, I'm trying to think of the last politician before Chrétien at the federal level to simply choose to retire, and that would be Pierre Trudeau, who um, who did lose, uh, stepped away, came back, 
uh, and then and then you saw the writing on the wall. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Didn't run in the eighty four election, eighty four eighty five election. Excuse me. And then um, before that, I believe it was Pearson who uh, had a minority government uh, uh, and then and then chose to retire. In general, mm -hmm. leaders le leaders lose power. So you're right that I, Justin Trudeau might not simply want to step aside if he says you know, turns in a status quo result. And his party starts to think that maybe maybe it's time for a new leader. Yeah. So we will definitely see. We got a couple more weeks now to see how this breaks. You know, hopefully the NDP can break that news cycle. Uh, maybe next week, Chris, so we can go a little more into like just individual policies to see where they lay out in some ways, because claiming uh, a lot of neoliberal people claim that is actually the way in which they'll vote NDP. I don't know, maybe we got to put them to the test a little bit because I don't think us even saying, you know, here's what the NDP stand for, here's how it's different from what uh, Trudeau is saying and what he's been doing, I still don't know if that'll move the needle because they just can't consider voting for, you know, this uh, a party well, that is not either blue or, or uh, red, right? One thing we have to consider, and again, likability does not necessarily mean votability, but... One of those polls I talked about today, I believe it was the Abacus poll, suggested that 41% of liberal voters like Jagmeet Singh. And so I think mm -hmm. it needs to be said, much like how, uh, you know, and this applies to every political party, but almost maybe Twitter liberals more than most, is that Twitter liberals do not represent uh, the average liberal voter, which by and large, again, supports NDP policies. Uh, but the question is, how do you convert that soft support into votes? Uh, mm -hmm. And if the NDP figures that out, well, they'll they'll form government. But right now they haven't figured that out. Yeah. So we will sit and see uh, if you want to talk to us about it, please join us on patreon.com slash left turn Canada. Just a couple bucks a month if you can hank it. And we're all here in the discord. I got a really cool letter from a listener in Thailand nice. that's coming to Canada that wants to know. So that was pretty dope to hear that. Yeah. But I just I love hearing from the discord and different walks of life. We will talk more about BC and what's happening out west. That has been kind of a constant thread Christo from a lot yeah. of the people listening they want more of that but you know maybe we'll get a cool guest and, and really yeah, dive no, we into definitely that have to soon. talk about bc and, and talk yeah. about the shortcomings of the the bc ndp a little bit more you know we we certainly have talked about alberta and bc mm -hmm. ndp and their and their climate failures in particular um there's also some good things Ab abby lewis uh, is running out there there's a lot of great mm -hmm. ndp candidates running federally some of whom have uh, are, are charting a very different course than john horgan uh, has been charting uh, so yeah, BC is going to be very important for the NDP. Uh, it's uh, some of the uh, the the strongest areas of the country for the NDP are in BC, uh, and uh, Singh I think will be spending a lot of time in BC and mm -hmm. in the Greater Toronto area in this election. Yeah. So I'm very excited to see what happens. I'm fighting against that nihilistic streak that often comes out in us when we start talking deep into Canadian politics here and the hopelessness of it all. But, you know, if you're not going to be hopeful now when people are trying to come together and rally around a voice that's at least trying to say something progressive and closer to your values than you've heard before, then when are you going to do it? So if you can, please do get involved with a candidate that, uh, you know, you think speaks to your values. And yeah, let's let's see how this goes. Uh, one more little 
shout out, of course, I said at the top, we're part of the Harbinger Podcast Network. There's tons of great shows to check out there. Christo and I are actually going to be appearing on one of their kind of flagship shows. They're the thing that puts it all together in the next couple of weeks. So if you listen to that, you'll you'll hear us there. We'll uh, be highlighting that. And yeah, next week, let's keep talking about this. Let's see what happens. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>